Welcome to the Wellbeing Room. I'm your host, Leah Cooper from the Centre of Key. In this podcast, you'll hear stories of my own wellbeing journey, and you'll also be meeting some special people along the way who'll be sharing their stories too. As you listen, I hope you get inspired to improve your own well-being and get more out of life. Welcome to the Wellbeing Room. In today's episode, I'm super happy to have with me Gregory Vahanian, who is a transformational life coach. Gregory and I met through our mutual friend, George Cow, and Gregory helps individuals, couples and groups enjoy a more healing and empowered orientation to life. He often supports folks in transcending inner obstacles and bringing heartfelt projects into successful completion. Gregory has been happily married for over 20 years and his family and his coaching practice are the primary focus of his life. It's lovely to have you here with us today, Gregory. Welcome to the Wellbeing Room. Thank you, Leah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's a, a treat, a treat to see you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's lovely to catch up. So I'm actually really excited as well because today we're talking about your book that you have self-published um, and it's due out next week, I believe. But depending on when you're listening or watching this podcast, it's probably already out. Um, so yeah, I'd like to just start with talking a little bit about, you know, what led you to work on this book, um, why you think it's an important and invaluable uh, tool for people. And yeah, so it's called... Tell us what it's called. Tell us a bit about it. I'll let you take it away. Sure. <laughs> it's called Accessing the Wisdom of the Heart. And uh, with a subtitle, Reflections on Awakening. And that's really, you know, exactly what it is. My, my reflections on my own awakening process. Um, I've, uh, I started therapy 30 years ago. And after about uh, eight years of therapy, I uh, was found the love of my life, my spiritual partner and wife, Wendy, and we've been together for, in December, it'll be 25 years. And I really wanted to be the best husband and the best father that I could be. So when we got, when we, we got pregnant, um, I decided to do a master's degree program in spiritual psychology not intending to become a coach or, or a therapist, but because I wanted to clean up residual healing opportunities in my own consciousness from my childhood and learn new communication skills and, and so on. And so uh, that was over 20 years ago. And in the course of just how things have unfolded, um, I was called to start working with classmates coaching coaching spouses and cl of classmates and so on and uh, through george who we met i was inspired to start documenting in video and in articles different insights and observations that i was having both around my own challenges areas of of stuckness that i had found ways of navigating but also working with my individual clients couples and also in the group programs that I've uh, designed and facilitated, areas that really seem to serve folks. So the focus of the book is really towards transcending limiting ego patterns uh, that uh, we come up with. It seems that we come up as kids with survival strategies that make a lot of sense 
to the precious, innocent five-year-old, the five-year-old boy or the five-year-old girl. And then, and then as we get older, those strategies can become sort of ingrained as our default setting, which helped us survive early on. But then as we move into adulthood, uh, don't take into account all kinds of additional information and also don't take into account this deeper opportunity to access more of who we are as a soul or what I refer to as the wisdom of our heart. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, there's a couple of things that came up for me, like firstly, spiritual psychology. It's not something you hear a lot about necessarily. I mean, you obviously do because that's your circle that you're in, <laughs> but I'm curious how you came to hear about spiritual psychology and what drew you to that? Sure. Well, my wife, uh, my my wife is a miracle. She, she really, she's just extraordinary. Uh, I wasn't anticipating getting so moved, <laughs> but such is the nature of life. So my wife is really miraculous. And um, when we were first to get there, this is kind of uh, was the step through some of what she taught me that mm -hmm. led me to uh, University of Santa Monica with doctors Ron and Mary Hulnick, who are both therapists and pioneers in the field of spiritual psychology. Um, they also were uh, hosting a series of workshops, of seminars. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, my wife had grown up in a community, a spiritual community, since she was 11, where she had learned some strategies for making peace with inner disturbance. Mm -hmm. And she modeled it for me for over a year, during our first year or two together, where I would see these little flickers of, oh, she's triggered. Like mm -hmm. something something just happened that disturbed her peace. But she didn't, not once in a year and a half, did she uh, act out in a destructive, reactive uh, way that might fan the flames. And, and I was baffled. Mm. You know, I, I grew up, both my parents were therapists and I grew up with a sort of orientation in terms of therapy and communication that when there's challenges, we have to talk things out mm. um, and talk things through, even if it's a little difficult and that's stuff fine. That's a, that can be very helpful. But what my wife began to model for me that inspired me to start studying spiritual psychology was we might be at dinner and I could see just a, that little contraction in the eye. And, and rather than saying, what are you talking about? What the hell? Or some variation of, you know, escalating. Mm -hmm. She would very calmly say, I'll be back in a second. Or I'll be back in a few minutes. And she'd get up, she'd leave. She'd come back within a few minutes and she would be neutral. Mm -hmm. She would be at peace. Yeah. And I would, and I would, with my background, say, "Do you need to talk, or is there something you need? Do we need to like?" And she goes, "No, I'm, I'm good." And she wasn't 
saying, no, I'm good while biting her tongue. She meant she was good and I could see it. So after about six months or a year, I said, what do you do? (laughs) You know, like, what do you know that I don't know? Mm. Because I, because it's it's inspiring and mystifying to me. I've never met anyone who who does something like that. Yeah. And she says, "Well, there's a few different things, but um one of the things that I do is I work with self-forgiveness." Mm. And I I said, uh, "Self-forgiveness like I I'd heard about forgiveness my whole life and I understand different traditions have some approach towards forgiveness." Yeah. But self-forgiveness and, excuse me, she went on to describe, she quoted her spiritual teacher and she said how he observes that peace is the cessation of againstness. Mm. Peace is the cessation, the ceasing of againstness. Mm. And I thought to myself, wow, that is so like elegantly stated. Mm. But what does that mean in terms of forgiveness? And she said, well, when we judge ourselves, when we place a a condemnation uh, where we have a negative energy againstness Mm. about ourselves, about a situation, circumstances, about someone else, or even about the universe or God. Yeah. Implicit in that is uh, there's going to be disturbance mm. because we are at odds with reality, the reality of whatever has happened. Mm. And to that extent, our peace, our innate peace and well-being, yeah, will will be disturbed. And so then she. In- began to introduce me to how one can identify the specific judgments that one is placing Mm. in these different areas and then begin to dissolve them. And it, it changed my world. Mm. And and I mentioned this uh, because it's fundamental to spiritual psychology. It's one of the sort of uh, cornerstone tools Mm. that is taught at the very beginning of of a spiritual psychology program um and and life life changing for, for me and for the thousands uh, who either have gone through the that program or have been introduced to these uh practices mm. yeah thank you for sharing that and i do remember in your book you because i read that chapter <laughs> you, oh, you share that story about your wife and oh yeah, thanks and i found that really interesting so thank you for illuminating thanks. us with that um sure. yeah yeah so it's a very interesting <clears throat> area of study it's something i never really heard about until i met you this idea of spiritual psychology so yeah thank you for opening my mind and world up to that um but i actually want to ask you also on a related topic of course is you in, the, in your book you mentioned this idea of earth school and the soul's curriculum um and so i'm just wondering if you could share a bit about that idea or that concept a bit more for the listeners and viewers as to what, what you mean by earth school and, and what is the soul's curriculum? Like, I don't know. Let us tell sure. us a bit more. Yeah. Sure. Well, the idea of the soul having a curriculum, um, uh, there's a Pierre 
uh, I'm momentarily blanking uh, uh, his full name, but Chardin, uh, he 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 says, a French philosopher says that we're not, uh, and I'm going to say it in English. Yeah, please. Uh, uh, says, I'm sure your French is quite good, though. <laughs> Je parle un petit peu de français aussi. Oui, oui. <laughs> Thank you, but, but I'll do it in English. Um, yeah. So he, he says that something to the effect of we're not human beings who have a soul, but rather spiritual beings who have a human experience. Mm. And, and uh, in spiritual psychology, uh, Drs. Ron and Mary Holnick, the way they frame it is that we are you know, referencing and acknowledging uh, that quote they'll at, frame it as we are uh, not human beings who have a soul, but rather we are divine spiritual beings that are having, or perhaps more accurately using uh, a human experience. Mm. And then the question is, for what? What, mm. what if 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 that's true, mm. if we just entertain the notion for a moment that this is true, yeah. Um, and for anybody who may be watching or listening in, I don't presume that anything that I share is true <laughs> for you. I I just the way that I approach it is like a spiritual scientist. Really, this is an experiment. This. This seems to work. This seems valuable. And this, and when I check into the wisdom of my heart, mm. this really resonates as, as having merit. And then the things that uh, don't seem to resonate, I let them go. I, I'll, I'll entertain them as possibilities, but if they don't really line up, I let them go. Mm. And I just want to uh, take the moment to say for any, again, for anybody who may be lis listening with my book, with my coaching, with this podcast, uh, I, I would invite everyone to do the same, to sort of take what works for you, take, you know, take and consider what might serve and that which doesn't serve, uh, by all means, just, just let it go. So what are we talking about? We're talking about Earth School, Earth School, and ah, Earth curriculum. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So Earth School. So, so, so then the question is: If we're here, if if we are uh, divine spiritual beings having or using um, a human experience, for what? And so, the 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 short answer would be, for me, would be awakening. Like uh, uh, that, if we're spiritual beings, what what do we do as in the human experience? Well, we experience life, we experience conditions, we experience negativity, we experience things, and the only thing I can figure we come away with at the end of a lifetime, beyond whatever the experiences are, is the degree to which we've awakened. Uh, to our essential beloved nature, mm. that, that there is an awakening to 
some of us talk about it in terms of God. Some of us talk about it in terms of uh, use, use other languages in different traditions. But fundamentally, as a common thread in all of the major religious or spiritual traditions, is awakening to a loving uh, nature, our loving nature. Mm. Uh, yeah, and that to me means... In spiritual psychology, we talk about the authentic self as distinct with a capital A mm. as distinct from the self, a capital A and a capital S as distinct from a small a. Um, the distinction being there is the, the self with a small s, which is more about the personality, which can be like, it's a little reductive, but... Um, our ego patterns, uh, anything on the mental, our our beliefs, our ideation, our interpretations, our judgments, and then the emotional level, all of those things that accompany the mental level that follow as a physiologic response. And so that is the ego primarily, the mental and emotional level. Then there's the physical level. Mm. And on the on the those three levels, there will always be polarity, meaning there will always be good and bad, mm -hmm. uh, judgments, uh, and and judgments as a result, yeah. because it's it's how we operate and relate on those levels. In spiritual psychology, and in my in my book, and the spirit of what I do. Uh, is to invite myself as a ongoing practice mm. to leverage my human experience, including my my ego interpretations and, and so on, to leverage that as a kind of a bridge or onboarding opportunity to actually move into a deeper connection with what is underneath it all, mm. which is the authentic self or the soul and on the soul level or on the authentic self level there's no polarity there's no duality there is no good or bad there it mm -hmm. doesn't it doesn't exist it wouldn't understand the concept because it doesn't exist there on on that grounded level of unconditional loving mm -hmm. there's really just joy mm -hmm. and peace and the delight of the life force being present uh light itself um yeah all, all the good stuff you know that in our humanness many of us uh, we all have experiences of tapping into that yeah uh with some measure of frequency or infrequency uh what i've found through my studies and what my intention is with the book is to support folks in spending more time there yeah no it's a really good point actually i love what you're saying and it's making me think a lot oh, you know how can that exist without polarity but then but then i think back to my yoga practice and meditation and it's how you know, you get through all these stages to achieve, you know, this peace of mind and this tranquility of spirit. And you're right. It is just 
this lovely steady stream it's not you know harsh or negative or you know extremely amazing it's like this this oneness is I guess a state of oneness perhaps is a way that I would I would put that yeah, yeah. I relate to it that way too very mm. very much so and that's a very Buddhist thing you know mm. People will playfully or either mockingly or playfully, depending, you know, it could be friendly or dismissive, but this, that expression, you know, oh, I'm, I'm becoming one with it all. Well, yeah. but those kind of, you know, things come from something real, yeah. whether it's intended as a slight or intended as a wonderful thing, mm. but there, there is a kind of a transcendent yeah. um, sweetness to letting go of all of the againstness. Yeah. And so having a practice of compassionate self-forgiveness. Mm. We the confusion, see the ego strategy. Yeah. The, e the ego strategy is I want to stay safe. And mm. so the ego, it's not that the ego is like bad and the authentic self is what it's no, no, no. They're they're both beautiful. Mm. It's just that the ego has some limitations to in its role yeah and oftentimes we i have a chapter in the book uh that's i believe is called something to the effect it's good if as the author i should know what it's what it's called <laughs> quite I think a few chapters called, there, it's, it's called, yeah <laughs> i believe it's called uh the mind bows to the wisdom of the heart mm -hmm. or the the ego or the mind bows to the wisdom of the heart and really, uh, uh, I named it that way in part because so frequently, and and wrote the chapter, because so frequently, as a strategy for survival, we can rely on our uh, calculations and our being strategic and clever. And oh, well, I don't want to let my heart, mm -hmm. you know, steer me off course because I know better, and so on, and. In different ways, we can, in a way, uh, we can get in our own way. We can block our own deeper joy, deeper peace, and really deeper connection to our inner knowing. And whether we're agnostic, deeply spiritual in however we define it, or uh you know, as a classmate of mine once referred to other classmates, a, a bunch of spiritual muffins, you know, who, if we think everybody who thinks that of, of spirituality is a spiritual muffin and, and kind of, you know, is shaking their head at the whole idea of spirituality or God or talking about the universe. Most people, at least in my personal experience, most people whatever wherever one falls on the spectrum of interest in spirituality most people are interested in having a more loving experience in life yeah. you know uh, most people uh strict atheist or full-on you know are interested in having more loving more compassion more connection yeah. more of a sense of depth more of a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment mm. and and uh and what i have found is that if that's what one is interested in then there are serious limitations to what the ego or the mind can do mm. now the ego and the mind 
you know, if we were always just in the authentic self, 100% of the time residing there, nothing would get done in the world because we would just all be blissed out. Yeah. So, so, so it's not that the, again, the ego is not a bad thing. Mm. The ego with it's part of, part of how we're beautifully, you know, designed and empowered to get things done in this human experience. Mm. But, but while we're getting things done, the big question that eventually most of us come around at some point in our life, like, why? Like, what am I doing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why am I getting things? And then, and then in one way or another, intuitively, or those of us who are fans and enamored with language go, oh, I'm a human being. Mm. I'm not a human doing. I'm a human being. Yeah. So if I'm a human being... I'm being. And how how am I being? Mm. How how am I being like right now in this moment? Yeah. How how am I being with myself? Yeah. How am I being with my spouse? How am I being with doing the dishes? Mm. How am I being with my kids? Um and and so making that shift from our ego or mind leading the way to saying, hey, you're awesome. You served me so well. But, but one of the things that will tend to happen uh, is where if, if this hand represents the ego, just for, for lack of another, mm. other props in the moment, if, uh, if this hand represents the ego in the moment, and this is the authentic self, most of us or many of us mm. are leading much of the time with our egos mm. and then and then enjoying tapping in here uh, less frequently. And what happens in the training in spirit in spiritual psychology, part of the part of the benefit of that schooling and part of the benefit of the work, uh, that I'm committed to in my own personal life, in my marriage, in my parenting, in the coaching, whether it's you know one-on-one, couples groups, my book, is to support all of us mm. in in shifting from leading primarily with our egos, which will tend to lead towards more destructive reactivity, judgment, and againstness. Mm. Um, frustration, disappointment, expectations, a sense of as in contrast to what you talked about and what you referenced as that sense of being at one mm -hmm. with everything. Yeah. Um, it will tend to generate more experiences. Our ego will generate more experiences of separation, mm -hmm. of anxiety, of isolation. Yeah. Um, as distinct from spending more time in the yumminess here, mm. which invites us to shift. And over time with practice, that, that heart-centered, authentic self-led life or spirit-led life yeah. is leading the way. And then we're leveraging the, all of the great attributes that accompany a healthy ego. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. 
there's so many things are popping in my head as you're explaining these things. And it's like, I just want to ask you like a hundred more questions about it, but it, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, cause there's, and this is all in your book. Like I, I was like, like I said, I was reading this book before we spoke and yeah, all these things you talk about are, are really lovely put together so well in your book and you've illustrated with some really lovely stories and experiences that you've had. And, um, so I'm not going to sort of rehash what you've said because it is in the book and, and you've said it so nicely here too. So I, I just want to touch on a couple more things. Um, firstly is, and, and this has been sort of our topic already today, but talking about, you know, relationships and forgiveness. Um, I think that's, that's a lot of work that we have to do as humans, I think. And I was listening to another podcast this morning. Um, it was, again, it was an interview with a psychologist and she was talking about how people wait for other people's forgiveness before they move forwards. Like they just, they're holding themselves together um, because someone's done something wrong to them or, you know, and it could be, they could be waiting years basically or, you know, forever, you know, cause waiting for someone, this person or whatever to, you know, say, I'm sorry, or whatever, you know, to, to find this forgiveness. And, and it really has to come from within. So I love that you're covering this in what you're doing and, and teaching other people and writing about in your book. Um, but I love, and this is actually not the first time I've seen this, is that Hawaiian healing practice, which you mentioned in your book. And another person I've just recently tapped into as well, they've mentioned this in their teaching as well. And I was like, well, this is a recurring theme. So let's talk about that. So I love these, these four phrases and I love how you've illustrated it with endings for them as well. Like there's the four key phrases, but then you're also putting it into context into the situation that you're working with. And I just wonder if you could share a bit about that. I can't pronounce it because I'm not Hawaiian, <laughs> but, but it's got a lovely name. And um, maybe you can tell us a bit more about these, this practice. Sure. So it's a, so I, I just want to say that I have a Hawaiian friend who, who is a healer mm. and I've shared, I want to just acknowledge this and I've shared so it's, I believe it's uh, Ho'oponopono. Mm -hmm. That look right? Yeah. And, um, and so if you happen to be Hawaiian and you're watching or someone who is really well trained and versed in terms of this, this is not specifically uh, uh, something taught in, in spiritual psychology. But my book isn't uh, as much as I've talked about spiritual psychology and, and I the book wouldn't exist and I wouldn't be where I am in my consciousness and life without it. Um, but the book really incorporates influences from different folks. I would say the, the main body of it and all of it is informed by my spiritual psychology education. Mm -hmm. um, but this is something, one of the things that I've just learned along the way. My friend who is a Hawaiian healer, when I shared with him my understanding of it, he kind of shook his head. <laughs> <laughs> regarding that my understanding was was very limited. Uh, so I want to acknowledge that. That said, I wouldn't let a little thing like someone else's opinion about my own limitations stop me from sharing what I know in my heart I have found really valuable. Mm. So this may be like, like the fingernail yeah. on the whole body of what Ho'oponopono actually is. Yeah. But this practice, as I've uh, come to enjoy it, is a really lovely way of practicing forgiveness. 
as much as I believe in what I shared earlier about compassionate self-forgiveness, and I think it's fundamental, mm. what words we use or what form we use to me are really incidental. Mm. There, there are forms that can help facilitate um, bringing about self-forgiveness. But ultimately, to me, and dissolving the againstness yeah. that I referenced before, at the same time, ultimately, any way that we can open ourselves, avail ourselves to bringing in, to meeting our parts, our tender parts, our parts that are disturbed, mm -hmm. The, the, the those who we may be in relationship on the outer, uh, we're experiencing the relationship on the inner. Mm, yeah. Relationships are all taking place inside of us. We just participate on the outside. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But mm. but it's one of the reasons why even after a divorce or a breakup separation or after someone actually physically transitions, mm. the relationship still exists. Yeah. Uh, and 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 the beauty of part of what's confounding to us on an ego level is what do I do? I can't call my mom. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't get on the phone like I would normally do, or I can't, you know, I can't, I can't, uh, FaceTime with my honey or whatever, if we've separate, if whatever the thing might, might be Yeah. part of what I love about the whole Oponopono practice. And this can apply to any of the things in my, in my book and, and most, uh, healing practices is they can be if we take into account that the relationship is really here inside of us, yeah. then we can say, I'm sorry. Mm. I don't know about you, uh, my beloved friend, Leah. I don't know about you, but for me, when I simply say, I'm sorry, I drop into my heart. Yeah. Something shifts. I can't be in my ego protecting my safety and simultaneously in sincerity say, I'm sorry. Yeah. If I say I'm sorry, it my, my ego defenses dissolve mm. and I begin to drop into my heart. So I can, in the privacy of my home, if I'm feeling anxious or disturbed or feeling there's something unresolved in my relationship with my mother who actually physically transitioned over 20 years ago mm. or, or someone, else, someone else, someone living, somebody perhaps that I'm even participating with, but I'm sensing there's something off. Yeah. One of the things I can begin to do is this practice of I'm sorry and there's one way to do it, as I describe in the book, is without filling in any blanks, just simply, I'm sorry, which then I'm ev evoking or invoking the presence. I'm thinking of that person and I'm saying, I'm holding them 
like a hologram or as an image or a sense of them in my consciousness, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. And, and I take my time and you can experiment with the order of that, but I take my time, I take my time with, with that. And even just saying it now, I can feel the sweetness mm. of, uh, you know, Ron and, and Mary Holnick, they also say, they reference and I reference uh, this beautiful Rumi quote. Many mm. people know this quote that out beyond ideas of right doing and wrong doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. So my book's intention is to invite people mm. to come out out of the ego identification of right doing and wrong doing and uh, and spend more time in the field, yeah. the field of, of, of here. Another Rumi beautiful quote is something to the effect of, and I'll do it in uh, English rather than the uh, original Farsi. <laughs> um, so, uh, and uh, Rumi says, your task is not to search the world for love, but rather to search within and identify the barriers that you've placed against it. Mm. Then Ron and Mary Holnick say, and then dissolve them, mm. meaning, and then dissolve those barriers. Yeah. And in this whole Oponopono practice or in the self-forgiveness practice, what we're doing by by holding someone or a situation, ourself, our younger self, mm. parent, whatever, bringing that forward and extending these phrases, it starts to welcome a kind of a cascading waterfall of loving that washes over and cleanses or dissolves the barriers or the judgments that we've placed against ourself, someone else, God, the universe, or the circumstances in a way, as that dissolves, as that washes away, we come back into that place of loving and joy and peace. The beauty of this, and um, to me, is it puts less onus and this is what my wife um this is what uh my beloved spiritual partner and wife models every day mm -hmm. and inspires me uh, so much as she does this and this process what it does is it takes the onus off of depending upon another foreign apology or another for our peace and well-being, another for, you know, and it shifts the focus so that rather than spending our time allowing our ego to lead, yeah. which nine out of 10 times plus our ego will tell us, focus on the trigger, mm. Mm -hmm. Focus on the trigger. If we can manage the trigger, if we can get that other person to behave 
the way they're supposed to behave, the mm-hmm. way they should behave, then we won't get upset. They're causing our upset. Yeah. But this orientation is no. When 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 I'm triggered and I'm tempted to move into reactivity, to upset, to disturbance, rather than something being off, maybe it's the universe's offering of a gift for me to unwrap, Mm -hmm. a gift of healing and empowerment, a gift of awakening and expansion of my capacity to be at peace in the world uh with as distinct from counting on the world to provide the peace count on the world to provide negativity in the sense of being a classroom mm. that's going to trigger my humanness yeah. but that's not the stopping destination the the if we're here for the learning and the awakening then every upset is an opportunity to go oh let me unwrap that let me look under the hood and see where I can extend more empathy Mm. to those parts of myself so that I can just continue to leverage everything, every, every, everything as an opportunity for upliftment and advancement and growth and, and awakening to, to more of the, the loving and, and the joy that reside when I'm most, you know, residing here. Mm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to say. I, I, yeah, I totally get that. It's beautiful. I think your whole book is amazing. I think you're amazing. <laughs> I think you're an amazing teacher. I love how, yeah, you can just so eloquently state these things. Obviously you're a living, breathing example of, of this practice or these many practices and and it is a practice, isn't it, that we have to, yeah, we have to wake up and accept the responsibility that it is us that is triggered or, you know, we have to do the self-forgiveness or there's all these different elements. It's, we can't expect other people. I, I mean, I lived for a long time blaming other people for the things that weren't going well in my life. You know, if, if only this person did that or if only, you know, that person did this and, um and then waking up and realizing, well, I've actually got the power to to change that. If I want to change it, I can change it. Um, and I really feel that's what you're saying today is that, yeah, it's really the individuals, you know, if we can let go of the ego being at the forefront and actually sink into this heart space and connect to that inner self, um, then we can navigate our way through and you're providing these, you know, your experiences and your tools that you use for this process. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And the last thing I'd like to just add as, as you, sh- and I appreciate what you're saying and reflecting um, is l- like, let's be clear. It takes courage. Mm. This is, this is, you know, we're having fun talking about it and it's my favorite subject. Yeah. Uh, uh, and um, there's a reason why our ego de- de- developed the coping strategies that it came up with. Mm. It was a loving intention. Mm. The coping strategies we came up with at five, when we perhaps weren't met in the loving 
soft, cushy way that we had hoped in a given exchange. And we concluded that this particular expression isn't acceptable. I better behave or show, wear a different mask mm. and, you know, not reveal all of who I am or whatever, whatever the that coping strategy came out of a loving intention to serve us because there is uh as um uh there 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 is a a tender a tender part that's being protected mm -hmm. a tender part that's holding on to an owie that's being protected so so I just want to acknowledge, like, for anyone um, who who hears this, and whether whether you read my book, which I hope you'll read my book, I hope you'll uh, enjoy my book and find value, including the processes that follow each chapter or accompany each chapter. The whole book is really an invitation for the reader to access more of the wisdom of their own heart. And independent of whether one reads my book or, um, but is anybody I would imagine who's watching this podcast and who's doing any related work around this subject, I just really honor you. I honor you, Leah, and I honor anybody watching um, or any any and all of us who participate in this kind of work, because it takes tremendous courage to be willing to drop down underneath the protective veneer or strategies, because it often includes being willing to then grieve and allow for the tenderness, the vulnerability, the, the owie, to be processed or digested so that we move. And when I practice self-forgiveness, it, it isn't always this way, but it is not infrequent at all that in that process, that process is accompanied by significant tears of, of a letting go. But I'm so grateful that I know and that my wife and my children know that at the end of that, I'm I'm born anew with with a considerable neutrality, joy, peace, you know. Um so so just really honoring for the for the courage involved in in any kind of awakening process. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. It's been lovely having you in the well-being room today, Gregory. I don't know, are there any final words you'd like to share with our listeners and viewers before we wrap up today? Thank you. Um, well, I love you. Uh, I'll, I'll, I, and, uh, and I appreciate you and I, I just always appreciate uh, connecting. And I know that today was focused on my book and my offerings, but I want to just personally say I just appreciate you appreciate the invitation to be here and um just I guess my my words would be a prayer of uh may may you uh 
find uh, gentleness in your process, uh, whatever your path, may you may you be gentle with yourself and honoring of all of yourself, your humanness, as well as your divinity and uh, and blessings to you. Thank you so much. Wow. All right. So I will, I'll put some information in the show notes to go with this podcast. If you want to get in touch with Gregory, if you want to get his book, I'll put a link there too. So please, um, yeah, buy a copy, read a copy and yeah, enjoy the stories and the, the information and the, the love that Gregory shares through his writing. So thank you so much, Gregory. Really, really a joy and a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Leah. And that's a wrap for this episode of The Wellbeing Room. I hope you enjoyed listening to my discussion with Gregory as much as I loved uh, recording it for you. There were so many beautiful nuggets of wisdom that he shared and I think I'm going to have to listen to this podcast several times to really distill them further. But obviously his book is a great reference point. So I've put the link in the show notes to where you can buy his book on Amazon. If you've enjoyed this episode and you think someone else would enjoy listening to it as well, please consider sharing it with them. And also feel free to put a review on Apple Podcasts or like us on Spotify. Thanks again for joining us in the Wellbeing Room today. Until next time, stay well. Stay well.